the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. It's Wednesday. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand Up for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, anything and everything that's on your heart. You need only to call us, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically it's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. And if you are driving in your car, remember the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. We've got a lot going on. I'm sure you do, too. It's Christmas. I was wondering, why are the phones so quiet this week? But it's Christmas. Everybody's getting ready. So I get it. Uh, tonight here at Calvary Chapel, I'm going to be teaching on Psalm 46. Um I think it's a pretty significant Bible study. So that's tonight at 7 o'clock. You can watch it at calvaryessay.com. And, of course, Paula is going to be live in studio with me tomorrow on the date day edition of the program. And then we're going to be done until next Tuesday, um, Christmas Eve, Friday. We will not have a live show. It will be a pre-recorded broadcast. And the same thing on Monday, KSLR is going to be closed uh, to celebrate the holiday. Christmas falls on a Saturday and uh, the day off from work will be on that Monday. So we'll not be back live until Tuesday. And who knows? Jesus may be back before that. And that would be a wonderful, wonderful blessing. Let's get to some questions while we await any phone calls today. This first question is from our email inbox from Kevin. He says, hi, Pastor, and I hope you're well. I am well, Kevin. Thank you for for um, asking. He says, I'm trying to study the book of Micah, chapter 2. I am so lost because I have no clue of who God is talking to when he said, Woe to them that devise iniquity. He goes on to say that they oppress a man, his house, and even his heritage. Could you please explain these verses for me? I can do that, Kevin. Um, In Micah, chapter 2, like many of the minor prophets, God is rebuking his own people. And so the psalm starts off with woe, uh, not the psalm, um, Micah chapter 2 starts off with woe to those who devise iniquity and work out evil on their beds. Now the idea is talking to Israel's leaders, religious leaders, he's talking to their 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 uh, uh, leaders, kings, um, uh, people in positions uh, of, of authority. Um, we would call them uh, people in, in law enforcement. Uh, and he's saying not only is a woe, and any time in the Old Testament God says, whoa, this is bad stuff. So not only are they doing the wrong thing, but they're planning it. And and what he's saying is that premeditated sin is worse. 
uh, Micah is speaking clearly to those. Uh, it would be like Micah talking to uh, our legislative leaders, our presidents or senators or congressmen, or even on a local level, when God says government is here for the good of the people, and they're using their positions and they're using their power and authority to do the wrong thing. And in many cases, to enrich themselves. So it's something that's been happening from the beginning of time. But this is who he's speaking to. He's speaking to the people of God who, because of their own greed, are dealing dishonestly with uh, with the people. Uh, he goes on to say in the, the next verse, at morning, uh, it's actually the, the, the next sentence, at morning they practice it. And I think this is probably one of those statements where he's exaggerating a little to make the point. But he's saying thieves typically will practice their work at night. Um, but law courts open for business at morning because the uh, rising of the sun um, was a demonstration of light casting out the darkness. Well, Micah saw the corruption of Israel's law courts and explained that they practiced their theft and their evil at morning light when the courts opened. And then he says, because it's in the power of their hand to do so. And that's the only reason they did it. They did it because they could. There was no check and balance. There was nobody who was evil. And God has always been very specific toward those in positions of authority who use those positions of authority to take advantage of other people, people that can't uh, help themselves, people with no power. And then when they also enrich themselves in the promise, that's the reason, uh, Kevin, for the the woe. So he then goes on to say, and you didn't ask about these verses, but God says, uh, don't worry, I'm I'm working behind the scenes and I'm going to bring disaster upon these people. In other words, judgment is always coming. I know that we often don't feel like the people in uh, our positions of authority, congressmen, senators, uh, we don't think they've got our best interests at heart and they're doing things and they're enriching themselves. And we think, why do they get away with it? Psalm 73 talks about the same thing. Well, nobody really gets away with everything, Kevin. God is devising disaster upon those people and they won't get away with anything. It may seem like it now, but they don't get away with anything. So that's Micah's message uh, to Israel. You're my people. You should do right. You're not doing right. And not only that, but you're deceitfully devising wickedness. And you start early in the morning, and it carries through all day. So, Kevin, that's the answer. I hope that helps. 340-9585, Miguel says, Pastor Ron, I know Jesus is God, but why did he say the Father is greater than he? And then he says, God is God, right? Miguel, God is God, and Jesus was God. But remember, this is a reference to his incarnation. In his incarnation, Philippians chapter 2 spells it out, that he considered equality with God not something to be grasped. He had it, but he let go of it, and in letting go of it, he came down to our level. He became a human. He endured the constraints of time and space. He uh, got tired. I'm sure there were times when Jesus was sick, uh, times when his heart was broken. Um, but, but in the incarnation, he took on human flesh so that he could empathize with us so that we could understand that he did this for our benefit. And um, so when he makes a statement that, that God is greater than he, he's not speaking in terms of which God is greater. They're both God. They're both equal. What he's speaking about is positionally, while he was here on earth, he was 100% submitted to the will of his Father. And we know that when the the, the the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in the form of a dove at the baptism of John, we know that that's when Jesus was given the Spirit without measure. And from that point forward, every single thing Jesus did, he did because he saw his Father do it, or he said because he heard his Father say it. And so Jesus, in his incarnation, he had no independent thoughts, uh, he never once used his power as God um, 
for his own benefit. Remember, he said I could have called down 12 legions of angels if I wanted to be rescued from this this crucifixion. Uh, He never did that. And he endured all things in obedience to his father. And Miguel, in the process, he taught us to walk by the same power of the Holy Spirit. Now, obviously, we have the Spirit in measured strength. It's measured by our own obedience or disobedience. It's measured by our own struggles with the flesh. Jesus didn't have those things. So when he said the Father is greater than he, he's only talking about his authority. Now, in the when Jesus ascended back into heaven, Miguel, uh, he once again sat at the right hand of God. That's the power hand of God the Father. And And while he is completely empowered by God, when he became flesh, he was forever subjugated to the authority of the Father. Now, obviously, in heaven, now their 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 thoughts, their hearts are completely united, and there's no conflict between them. There's no "I don't want this" or uh, it's it, it's they're 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 one and they're completely unified. But Jesus, the Son, God, the Son will always be subjugated to the authority of the Father. So I hope that makes sense to you, Miguel. Thank you very much for the question. Cynthia asks, uh, if I am chosen by God, do I really have any choice in the matter? Um, Yes, Cynthia, you do. And I'll prove it to you right now because wherever you are, you can choose to serve Jesus. Or you can choose to serve you. You can choose to sin. So you have a choice. Now, here's the thing. God knows what choice you're going to make. And God, of course, made his choice of you on the basis, 1 Peter chapter 1 and um, Romans chapter 8, verse 29. He made his choice of you based on his foreknowledge about what you were going to do with the choices you made. Now, I can make a choice right now about something. I can make a choice tomorrow about something. And and if I don't know what I'm going to choose, but God does, because God lives outside of time and space. He knows the end from the beginning. So the idea that I'm chosen by God so I don't really have any free will is really a non-starter, Cynthia. Uh, You make a choice by God, and he knows what choice you're going to make. But you're still free to make it. And I can tell you something. God is, is hoping that we're going to make the right choices. He loves us. He wants us to choose the right path. Unfortunately, too many of us, we don't. And then we suffer consequences. And then if I'm getting the tone of your question right, Cynthia, we blame him for it. Well, I I chose it, but God knew I was going to do it. It's like he made us do it. You have a choice. You have a choice. Now, Cynthia, if you're not a Christian, if you're not born again, here's something I would ask you to do. Choose. Jesus. You're listening to a Christian radio station. You sent me, a Christian pastor, your question. You know what Jesus has done. You know who we say he is. If you haven't chosen him, you have the free will to do so right now. And if you choose not to to serve Jesus, if you choose not to give your heart to him, well, then likely the reason is because you want to keep sinning and you know God won't let you do that. But make no mistake, either choice is your responsibility and you have to own either the blessings or the consequences that come as a result. I once on this program had somebody call and say, that was a woman, and she said, well, why do I pray if God knows everything? Well, we pray because he tells us to. We pray because in some mysterious way that we can't really understand, we know that prayer moves the heart of God. That's why he puts it on our heart to pray, just like he put it on Moses' heart to intercede for the people of Israel. And I think what God wants us to do, Cynthia, is partner with him in the choices we make and in the prayers that we offer. So when God puts on your heart to pray for something, you pray. But for you, Cynthia, the matter is, what choice do you make? And you can make that choice right now and prove that you are 
able to make a choice of your own free will. If you make the wrong one, then it is by your free will that you're choosing to go to hell forever and ever and ever. Here is, let me see, we've got a phone call. Somebody holding on the line now. We've got Ron from San Antonio on line one. Ron, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hello, Pastor Ron. It's so good to hear from you. Thank you, Ron. I just had a quick question. Um, I've got a, a, I've got a knowledge of the Bible, certainly not like you. I know that uh, to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ, and mm-hmm. that all tears also will be wiped away. But in heaven, I'm just very curious. Um, as far as the ones we knew and the ones that were in our families, unfortunately, in some cases, um, the ones that we want everyone, and God is the same. He wants as many as can accept his word and follow his son, um, take their place in heaven. Those that did not, unfortunately, make it into heaven, um, with the tears wiped away, will we have any thought, any remembrance of those that, the, the ones that, even in our family, close friends yeah. that um, that didn't cross over with us and went the other way, um, will we recall them yet have no 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 tears and 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 yet still recall who and who who they were, what they were? and what they were in our lives at one point, or would that that thought just be absolutely deleted of those that did not cross over with us into heaven? Yeah, that's a great question, Ron. And there's so many people who are hurting, having lost loved ones who we know weren't with Christ. Um, It's something that I deal with at a lot of funerals and stuff, uh, especially. Um, I call this the the sort of the, the eternal brain swipe. Um, uh, G- Jesus is going to take away. The Bible says there should be no more sorrow, no more pain, uh, no more tears. Once our tears are wiped away, you know, our tears are being stored up in heaven right now. And we're going to see uh, what God did with those tears the same way that he's He's storing up our prayers. But when we get to that place, we have gone to the present, into the presence of the Lord. Uh, we, we stand at the Bema seat, the reward seat of Christ receive our rewards, at that point, every tear is going to be wiped away and the memory of those people will be completely gone. It is inconceivable that we could know that people we care deeply about, people that we really loved, are in hell being tormented forever and ever and ever. It's inconceivable that that wouldn't cause pain when we're in the presence of the Lord. So I think what he's going to do is give us that brain swipe that I referred to. And uh, all we're going to do is is focus on on him, uh, focus on the things that we're being taught, focus on the, the, the people in heaven around us. And I think our memory will be completely wiped away. There is no other way to explain the fact that we won't be in grief uh, forever and ever and ever. That's how terrible uh, eternal torment is. And um, I think this it's a whole new order of things. People say, well, we're not going to, and I've said this before, we're not going to go no less in heaven than we do on earth. We're going to know more. But we have to also remember that it is a completely new order of things. So for you and for me, Ron, the people that our hearts are broken over, it will be as though they never existed. And that's that's the only explanation that, that we're offered uh, scripturally, and uh, how, how that's going to play out uh, when we get to heaven is going to be, uh, we're going to have to wait till then in order to find out. But there won't be any more pain. There won't be any more sorrow. And I think that's what we have to count on that in this whole new order of things. Uh, we will love Jesus with a passion, with a depth that we never dreamed possible. And that overwhelming love that we get from him and the love that we have for him will eclipse anything that's sorrowful or anything that would cause tears or pain. Good question, Ron. Thank you very, very much. 
340-9585 for your live calls and questions. You know, Ron, and for others out there, uh, it's hard for us because we want answers to these things. We want to know how they work. But there are times when we're just going to have to rest in the presence of the Lord and, and be comforted by the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our troubles. And uh, heaven, that will be um, to, to a degree that, that we can't even imagine what we're here on earth. Here is a question from Marshawn. I hope I said that right, Marshawn. He said, there are so many problems in the church and in the world. How can we know which part of the church is right? I'm losing my faith. Well, Marshawn, if you're losing your faith, it's because you're looking out instead of up. Now, this is really important. Um, Jesus has never lied to you. Jesus has never failed you, not even once. He's never uh, not been there for you when you needed him. Uh, tonight in the first psalm, uh, or the first verse of Psalm 46, we're talking about God being an ever-present help in time of trouble. He's always and ever, forever, present. And so our focus needs to be on Him rather than on the people and the pain uh, of this world. You know, we can look at people, especially other Christians, and we can say, well, well, this person did that, or that person did that. They're a bunch of hypocrites. And, and we can do that, or we can just bring them before the Lord's throne in prayer and focus on God's faithfulness. You know, Job and his three so-called friends, they, um, they, they weren't looking up high enough. They, they were looking out. They were looking at circumstances. And, and they, too, became, um, in, in one case, the three friends, friends misrepresented God, telling outright lies about him. And in Job's case, he lost his focus on God. And then he said he saw God, cried out, if only there were a man between me and God, a man who could touch God and a man who could touch me. And, and then he got to that great statement of faith, I know that my Redeemer lives and I will see him on that day. And, and that got to the place where his focus was in the right place. And for Job, it turned out to be a good thing that he struggled. For us, Marshawn, uh, when we look at other people and we get frustrated with them, uh, then we too are misrepresenting Jesus. So what we do is the people who are problematic in the world and in the church, it's our responsibility to, to pray for them, keep them before the throne of God. And if we will do that, then our focus remains on Jesus. I say all the time, Marshawn, and you probably hear it if you've listened for any length of time, just be with Jesus. Our focus needs to be on him. And too often our inclination is to look out at other people or to look out at all of the problems or to look at the circumstances that are surrounding us and be focused on that. And Jesus would say to you over and over and over, Marshawn, look higher, look higher. I look to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from him, the maker of heaven. And Marshawn, that's what you have to do in the middle of all these problems. And believe me, I understand it's overwhelming. I'm doing a Bible study tonight where it was necessary that I listen to some news reports and and, and just uh, I'm exposed to things that, uh, frankly, I don't want to think about. But I'm going to tell the church to look up. And that's what you need to do as well. Don't let what anyone else does or says cause you to lose faith. Focus on Jesus. Read his word. Read his promises to you. Read, Marshawn, the first three chapters of Ephesians. They're short. They won't take you a long time. Read those three chapters. You can read them five, six times tonight. And that will help refocus you on what God has done on his faithfulness and the promises that he's made to you. But don't look out. Don't look at the circumstances. Look to Jesus and you're going to find that your faith is fine. When we begin to go weak, when we are weak, then he is strong. When I am weak, he is strong. Make it that personal, Marshawn. And then when that happens, you will know for sure that he's got you. And your faith will not diminish. Your faith will, in fact, increase. 
Here is a question from Mitchell. This will be the last one for the first half of the program. Mitchell says, why would a loving God create people he knew were not going to choose him? Mitchell, uh, this is another question I get from time to time. Um, Remember, God isn't creating people. God's not creating people. People are, are created by the process God created. God created only Adam, and he created only Eve, and uh, they were created by his finger. And in the process, um, the rest of us, is, since the fall, the rest of us are created by that process. We have sex, people get pregnant, we have babies. Now, why would God allow them to be created? Because God's not an abortionist. God loves life. He protects life. And so he doesn't stop people from being born just because they're going to go to hell. There are people that can live a wonderful life, relatively speaking, um, completely independent of God. People that can do good things. People that have moral character. Um, uh, people that, that can be a benefit to the rest of the world. And so they're given the opportunity by God. They're blessed by God. But they're still going to go to hell because they won't choose God. But you can't blame that on God. That's on the people. We've got 30 minutes left in the Wednesday show, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. back to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the program 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR uh, James says, will the devil rule in hell like he rules the evil in the world now? Um, James, no, the devil will be too much is given, much more is required. He is, uh, Lucifer will be the most accountable being in hell and he will suffer the most simply because uh, he has the, the, he was the closest to God. So there's not a party going on in hell. Uh, nobody's holding, so let me give you a quick story. I did a, a funeral for a, a friend of mine's son um, in Arizona. This young man uh, literally grew up in our house. Uh, he and my sons were BMX bike racers. And a uh, kid was around all the time. And um, when we came to Texas, we sort of lost track of him. They grew up, and uh, he, he, uh, his father called me. Asked me uh, if I'd do the funeral for his son. I said, what happened? Well, his son was murdered in a drive-by shooting. His son had begun riding with hell's angels and doing bad things and uh, clearly wasn't saved. Um, and when when I, I got to Mesa, Arizona to do the funeral, the coffin that his body was laid in was draped with the flames of hell. There are all kinds of hell's angels there, and I was the efficient at the at the funeral, and uh, you know we I like to give people a chance to share uh, at funerals, give them a chance. It, it's comforting, and um, and a bunch of people come up and say things that weren't true. Well, you know, his name was Daryl. Daryl's in in hell, and the party's already started, and can't wait till I'm there to party with Daryl. And this went on for maybe twenty minutes, and I finally put a stop to it. And I went up uh, to, to start my part of the service. I just told everybody there they should be ashamed of themselves. Acting like hell is Disneyland or something. There's no party. The devil is being tormented. And um, at the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth, James, uh, he will be thrown into the lake of fire where for a thousand years the Antichrist and the false prophet is counterfeit trinity um, uh, they will have already been there suffering for a thousand years. At the end of the thousand years, Satan himself will join them 
uh, before the, the great white throne judgment when everybody who's rejected Jesus Christ will be there as well. So no, he won't rule in hell. He's not going to be boss. He's going to be in the deepest, darkest hole in torment that is unimaginable. And um, that's the choice he made. Here's a question from Annie. She says, I'm a Baptist and see so much wrong with the convention. What should I do? Well, Annie, I don't know what the wrongs are that you are perceiving here. Um, if 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 you are not in agreement with the Southern Baptist Convention, then probably you ought not to be a Baptist and find a church that you don't see a bunch of stuff wrong with, a church that teaches the Word, a church uh, where, where uh, the first century church um, would be comfortable. There's there's so many good churches. Now, Annie, I'm a pastor. I'm a public person. I'm um, uh, People uh, say things to me all the time. Well, well we got to clean up the church first. There's a lot of great churches out there. There are abusive pastors. There are, are hypocrites in churches. We know all of the problems. But that doesn't mean that we, or in this case you, Annie, have to be along them. Uh, among them. Um, so, so don't find fault with convention. Uh, if you're in a church where the word is being taught faithfully, where you're being given opportunities to serve, uh, where God is able to use the gifts of the spirit that he's given to you, um, if you then, then it's a good church. If you're not in a church that does those things, it doesn't matter what the moniker is on the church. The truth is that you're not in a good church and you need to find one. And there are so many good ones. Any wish, and this isn't me trying to get people to come to Calvary Chapel. I always say we've got more people than we can handle now. But I wish you could have been at our Christmas dinner this past Sunday evening, 4 o'clock to about 7. I wish you could have been there. You'd have seen a family, and you'd have seen a family. Some of it's attractive, some of it's not so attractive. There's people at all different stages of their walk with Jesus. There's people there who weren't Christians at all. But the Christians there were really sharing with them and and trying to make them feel welcome and telling them about Jesus and why we have the hope that we have. A church that's sharing the gospel a church where people are getting saved. That's the kind of church you ought to be looking for and has nothing to do with the convention. Conventions are like, when I think of the Southern Baptist Convention, and I'm going to get emails about this, please be gentle. But I think of the Southern Baptist Convention sort of like the church at Ephesus that Jesus wrote to in Revelation chapter 2. You know, Jesus says, I see this, you're doing good work. I see that that uh, um, you're, you're calling out false teachers. I can see that you, you, um, you, you're staying committed to the work in spite of persecution. But Jesus said, I have this one thing against you. You've, lost your first, you've left your first love. And that's kind of what I see when I think about the Baptist Convention. There's a bunch of men and organizations and agendas that have nothing to do with God's agenda. It's just what they do, tradition, religious tradition, from one generation to the next. And I think you can be a Southern Baptist without ever being a part of the convention. I think the conventions yearly have no value if all you're going to do is talk about things and argue about things that God has already decided. So find your first love again. And Annie, the same thing is true for you. Fall in love with your Bible, and you'll fall in love with Jesus. And when you're in love with Jesus, you'll hang around him. And when you see people who aren't what they ought to be in the eyes of God, then you'll have compassion on them. You'll pray for them. And then you'll experience a smile of God in your life day after day after day. And uh, that's what you ought to do. Fall more in love with Jesus. Stay in the Word. If you find a church, and it's a good one, stay there and serve it. Use your gifts for the glory of God. And it will change everything about church. You know, Annie, I, I had a, a woman, um, and, and, and I think, gosh, I'm trying to remember where this happened. I'm 
so busy in so many places. But but I, we saw a woman at a restaurant, and I didn't recognize her. I can't see very well anyway. But but um, she stopped by the table where Paul and I were sitting. That's where we we're at a restaurant, and and she she said uh, she saw Paula. Paula's my back was to her. She saw Paula, and she came over and she said, Pastor Ron, I just want to thank you. I love coming to your church. I'm pretty new there. And I got to tell you, I go to church now because I want to, because I love it. See, you don't need a convention for that. All you need is the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and a bunch of people committed to serving Jesus Christ. Thank you for the question. Here is a question from Teresa. Um, I'm in a prayer group, and one of the ladies just brought the book Jesus Calling for us to use as a guideline, Should I Be Concerned? Not only should you be concerned, but if they let that book in, you should be long gone. That book is pure evil. Sarah P. Young, I think that's her name, Sarah Young, um, um, she she represents that book as having been channeled to her by spirits. And and she says that that book has authority. These encounters she's having with Jesus, who's calling her, um, are are greater in value than the Word of God. And this is a book, um, sadly. Multiplied thousands of women have bought this book and fallen in love with it. It is pure, pure evil. So, Teresa, um, tell them to get rid of it. If they don't get rid of it, then then you get rid of them. And I don't mean in a harsh way. Just say that book is not of God. That book has nothing to do with the with the Bible. It's 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 in opposition, active opposition to the Bible. So no, no, no. Don't do anything that involves the book Jesus Calling. I don't know why it's women who like that book. Uh, most women I know are really, really smart. And yet that book, for some reason, um, brings them to a place emotionally. Um, and and I, can, I can say it's the devil, but, but uh, th- that book is pure evil. Stay away from it, Teresa. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Irene says, Pastor Ron, will churches be closing again with the rise of the new COVID variant? Um, no, I, I don't think so. Um, I'll personalize this in a moment, but Irene, uh, I personally think that that the world that we live in, we, that we've lost our our capacity for closing. For um, I just don't think those things can happen again. Um, churches, people in churches, they love being in their churches. I just don't think that's going to happen. So uh, I'm confident that won't won't happen. I will say this, and this is what I want to admit by telling you and personalize it. Uh, we will not close here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, no matter what. Um, we closed for nine weeks, um, conducting only on live stream services, Um uh, for, for when when this COVID outbreak first started, uh, we were asked to do so by our governor and by our president. Uh, we wanted to be obedient, uh, even though we knew that, that we're not to forsake the assembly together of the saints, but nobody knew what COVID was going to be like. Well, after time passed, and we realized that this thing wasn't nearly as bad as 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 advertised uh, with the scare tactics and, and uh, everything that they used, um, we went right back to meeting in church again, and uh, our church is absolutely packed. Um, we we are we're, we would not consider closing it again under any circumstances, and and I think Irene, there are way more uh, pastors and church boards that uh, would take that position than those who would, in an abundance of caution, be closing again. Um, one of the most harmful things that a church can do is close uh, out of fear. The psalm that I'm doing tonight, uh, we're told to be still and know that he is God. Uh, we're, we're told not to fear because God is an ever-present help in times of trouble. And we who are the church of Jesus Christ, we ought to be counting on him and him alone. So, uh, Irene, I hope that answers your question. The answer is no. Uh, don't 
for you, Irene, and for anybody else. Don't let this doom and gloom nonsense cause you to be afraid. Look up. Look to Jesus. And he's going to be there. In the meantime, we've got to learn to live with COVID. It's not going to go away. It's already clear that the um, vaccinations, uh, vaccines are not going to uh, keep people from getting this. And um, what we have to do is we've got to keep serving Jesus in these last days. We've got to keep serving Jesus. And uh, if some of us get sick, we will be able to know that Jesus is that ever-present help in time of trouble. But in the meantime, we need to redeem the time, making the most of every opportunity. And uh, I hope and pray that's what all churches are going to do. Irene, I actually know there's still a couple of churches that, that were closed that never reopened. Uh, since COVID. There are some that reopened here in San Antonio that are operating at about one-third of the capacity. Uh, and I just think that's awful. I, I just think that's awful. Jason writes in and he said, where do you stand on baptizing children? Jason, this is always a hard one because, um, you know, when you have a baptism, we do our, our baptisms uh, outdoors and usually they're church-wide events and kids see adults and other kids being baptized and they want to get involved. Um, we talk to them. I, I want to make sure they at least have an understanding of what they're doing. Uh, and yet I tend to favor to err on the side of, of grace, uh, to err on the side of inclusion. Uh, Jesus said, suffer not the little children to come unto me. And I would hate to to uh, to tell a child that he or she cannot be baptized because I don't think they know what they're doing. And I think God is able to to um, start stirring their hearts again if they don't really understand what's going on. God is able to stir their heart again. Having said that, Jason, we have tons and tons of people who uh, kids who uh, who were baptized at very young ages. Um, I think the youngest one I've baptized is four years old. I baptized a whole bunch of them who are, you know, six and seven and eight years old. And, uh, you know, I've been around long enough uh, here to know that uh, those kids know who Jesus is and they grow up and produce a lot of fruit in their lives. So uh, um, I would, I would, if there's an error to make, I would err on the side of saying yes and including them and just trusting that if they didn't know what they were doing, uh, God will take care of that. So that's where I stand. Infant baptisms, Jason, no. In, infant baptism does not convey salvation at all. Uh, doesn't deal with the problem of original sin, as Catholics claim it does. Uh, so infant baptism is, is anti-biblical. Uh, but when you can talk to somebody and that child can express uh, um, uh, at least a, a, a level of understanding um, that indicates they know what they're doing, um, then, then I think it's a wonderful thing to baptize them, and that's where we do what we do here at Calvary Chapel. So that's my stand, Jason. Thank you for asking, uh, William. Here's a question I haven't had on the program before, do, Pastor Ron. Do you think Solomon was saved? Uh, yeah, Solomon definitely is saved. We'll see Solomon in heaven, William. Um, we we know that the promise to David included his son Solomon. We, we know that Solomon had lots of bumps in the road and lots of horrible mistakes and, in fact, married women who worshipped false gods and did nothing about it. Um, and, and Solomon, who was uh, the smartest man ever, uh, just in terms of pure intellect, uh, but also the wisest, the application of that intellect. Uh, he was the richest. He was the most secure. No, no foreign country could come against him. Uh, he had everything, and he blew it. He blew it. So when you blow it, what do you have to do? You have to repent. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you and purify you from all unrighteousness. That's First John 1, 9. Well, Solomon didn't have a New Testament, but he embodied that. If you read the book of Ecclesiastes, William, Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon when he was an old man, and he was looking back on a life really of wasted potential. 
and he was looking back on his life, and he comes to the conclusion that uh, though I denied myself nothing, I I searched out mysteries, I searched out adventure, um, sexuality, sensuality. Um, I, I wanted life to be fun and full, but everything I did apart from God was meaningless. King James used the word vanity, vanity. Uh, uh, chasing after the wind is what it means. And Solomon, at the end of his life, in the book of Ecclesiastes, he comes to the conclusion it was all meaningless and, and, and basically in faith says, I'm going to spend the rest of my time with God. So yes, he was saved, he's in heaven, and we'll be able to see him. I think that um, he's going to be lacking a whole bunch of rewards in heaven, but he is already there. Good question, William. Here is a serious question, anonymous. Uh, Anonymous says, I struggle with porn online. What's the best way to stop watching it? Um, Anonymous, whatever you have to do, anything and everything that you have to do to stop watching it, that's the best thing to do. If that means you have to get away from your computer, you have to get rid of it, you've got to trash it and stay offline, then that's what you do. Now, I know in this day and age, that's pretty radical. However, and this is important, Jesus said that we have to deal with sin forcefully. If your eye offends you, pluck it out. If your hand offends you, cut it off. Now, that's not literal. So, so don't take it that way. But here's what he's saying. If you've got to get rid of computers, you've got to do it. Now, I want to be realistic with you. You're, you're a man. I, I'm assuming you're a man. You have the capacity to choose every day what you're going to do. And you know that Going online and looking at pornography is a sin. And you've got to own the fact that you choose to do that willingly. You do it willfully. Now, you can feel really bad about it later, and the devil will will heap condemnation on you. But it's a choice that you made of your own free will. And if you could hear the voice of the Lord, Anonymous, he would say to you, after all I've done for you, why do you choose to do what you know I don't want you to do, what you, what you know that I hate? And he hates it because he's not a prude. He hates it because it means that fellowship with you is completely cut off. And he died that he could hang out with you. So the best way to stop watching it is just don't do it. Just be with Jesus and you'll be okay. Don't wait for temptation to go away. He's already delivered you from it. You've got to have enough faith to take him at his word. And I want you to understand, if you keep doing this, and you don't say whether you're married or not, you're cheating on your wife, you're cheating on Jesus, and there will be severe consequences. It doesn't get better, it gets worse. So stop. It really is that simple. Here is an email that was sent in by Scott. Uh, Pastor Ron, what is your opinion on some statements made by the Archbishop of Canterbury in an interview the past couple of days. He implied that Jesus would have vaccinated. He suggested that people who refuse to get jabbed are immoral. As he told people to love one another, as Jesus said, he was asked if being vaccinated is a moral issue. The Archbishop said, I'm going to step out on thin ice here and say, yes, I think it is. A lot of people won't like that but I think it's because it's not about me and my rights. So I would say yes to love one another. As Jesus said, get vaccinated, get boosted. I would say, well, I'm not done yet. I don't think the church should use its pulpit for the vaccination issue. Um, I agree that the church should not use its pulpit to push the vaccination issue. I think this is an issue of Romans 14.23, anything not of faith is sin. And the Archbishop of Canterbury, um, an Anglican, the Anglican Church often finds itself in direct contradistinction to the Word of God. I would probably say this is a guy who needs to be quiet. 
and get right with God. But I've, I've managed throughout this whole time of vaccinations to teach the Bible without ever telling somebody what they should do. So it's just simply, Scott, a matter of personal faith. You've got the freedom given to you by God, given to you in our country, uh, ostensibly also in England, uh, to make a choice. And if this is a moral issue, and he thinks this is one of the important moral issues of our time, then his moral compass is way, way, way off. Way, way, way off. So, Scott, I, I, I haven't read the statements. I'm just reading what you've read. So, um, if you really love people, what I would tell them, tell you is to tell them about Jesus uh, because the issue of dying in sin is far more serious than whether or not we get vaccinated. So, my pulpit is going to be used for the Word of God. By the way, I'm going to talk about uh, the pandemic a little bit tonight in my exposition of Psalm 46 and other earth-shaking things that have happened uh, in the world um, because because here's the matter where we trust the Lord. I think it's fine for him to say, I think people should be vaccinated, but, but for him to condemn people really as unbelievers, um, out of place. That's the best thing I can say. It's completely out of place. Well, that'll be all the questions that we have for today. A couple of things. Remember, Paula is going to be live in studio with us here tomorrow on the date day edition of the program. And um, I'll be teaching tonight Psalm 46 uh, as we um, continue just getting through the end of the year in the book of Psalms uh, while we await our new Old Testament study in 2022, which is just around the corner. Thank you for tuning in. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Um, Hindle, don't know if you're listening, but I want you to know we love you. We've been praying for you. My, you're, you're in my heart. God willing, we'll be back tomorrow. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is on every weekday afternoon at 4 And Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.